Welcome to episode 106 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Hey, John. Good to be here. Yeah, so I thought for our podcast today, we could chat a little bit about, uh, you know, one of my favorite aspects of the software design process, which, of course, is uh, the, the prototyping uh, portion of that. And I've noticed, I mean, nothing scientific here, of course, but I've noticed that that I'm hearing a lot more about software prototyping now. Um, it's almost as if it's in vogue uh, in terms of being a, uh, a technique that people are uh, reasonably interested in incorporating into their user experience design process. You hear about it, you hear about uh, people talking about it at conferences. There's a million different tools, it seems like, to prototype now. Um, very different from when I started in digital design. There, there, there are now... Um, you know, numerous ways to uh, prototype, even if you're not really a very skilled coder. Um, you've got uh, Azure and InVision and iRise and uh, all sorts of uh, HTML and CSS and JavaScript frameworks, not to mention, you know, folks can use, uh, you know, a presentation software like Keynote or PowerPoint to do it. But it really seems like, like we've, we've uh, in the software design industry, we've reached some kind of uh, general consensus that, that prototyping is the way to go. And we've, we're entering this, uh, you know, software prototyping renaissance, um, or at least that's the way uh, it, it, it looks to me. But I also remember that that was not always uh, so much the case, and I wanted to talk with you about that uh, today a little bit. Dirk, when, when you started um, you know, down the design path more than a decade ago, uh, how was how how prototyping looked at at that point, and, and how has it evolved since? Yeah, so at that point, you know, when we started um, Invo in 2004, and I, I've been doing digital design a couple couple years before that as well, but to, to just focus on, on Invo, when we started the company, really um, design firms were not doing um, digital prototyping. Uh, and I'm sure there's probably a couple that I've never heard of, but for the most part, nobody was doing it. And um, it's, you know, there still were certainly prototypes being, being made, but those prototypes were... Um, non-digital. So uh, whether it be sort of, uh, you know, things like paper prototyping, very low fidelity or, or wireframes, God forbid, or, um, you know, screen mock-ups, like those are all prototypes as well. Um, but the key is they're not digital. They're not interactive prototypes. I mean, they might be made to be interactive in kludgy ways, but they don't get anywhere near approximating uh, what the real use of the software would be. So, uh, you know, one of the ways in which we really innovated at Invo was in digital prototypes being a, an expected, even mandatory part of our process. So while we were explicitly a design firm and not an engineering firm, we had a similar number of engineers on staff as designers, which now is more common, um, but at the time was was really unheard of. So that, you know, that's always been core to our process because we philosophically believe, based on a lot of years of experience, um, and uh, frankly, a lot of Andre's 
experience. Andre, you know, one of the other original founders of Invo, who started the design team at Adobe and designed the the creative suite, that to really design great software, you need to have kinetic uh, digital prototypes that can give the designers, give the product people, give the engineers uh, more robust feedback to how that software is actually going to be used and and perform. Now, today, that is a much more common practice. I mean, you do still have design firms and design teams without programmers, but it's, uh, you know, at least for people who are claiming to design digital things, I think that's much more the exception uh, than the rule, which is uh, remarkably different from 11 years ago. Yeah, how have... Um... Well, I mean, we, we've we've seen that that user experience has become uh, more more of a term that that people recognize now, and and the industry is uh, sort of been accepted as as part of uh, the experience of of putting together the right uh, kinds of software. So so as 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 the amount of software has increased, so we've got all these uh, uh, mobile devices um, and. Additionally, UX has sort of been uh, raised up to be something, you know, more more important than it was. Uh, you know, do you think these were contributing factors to uh, to prototyping gaining acceptance as well? Hmm. You know, from from my standpoint, the the main reason why prototyping gained acceptance is that either younger or more progressive designers, uh, that it clicked for them that digital prototypes are the more effective way to create things. And so they naturally moved into uh, becoming programmers or gaining engineering and programming skills themselves. Because as as designers and creators who want to make really good stuff, it's just sort of obvious at a certain point that the only way to get the most out of software is understanding technically what's possible for that interface, how that interface can perform. Um, so I, I think from my perspective, I think it was driven by the people doing the work, um, both the younger people who are just sort of making their way and looking for the best and most effective ways, not having sort of baked into, you know, who they are and, and how they see their role, which traditionally is more, um, more analog, but then additionally, more progressive older people who, um, you know, I mean, I, when I think about this, I always think about my buddies at Madhouse a design studio in Toledo, you know, they, they were a traditional, very small um, design shop that was dealing with like ad agency stuff. And as they saw their business more and more moving into first websites and then software, like they got, because they're really exceptional creators, that the way to make those things great required the engineering skills and the digital skills. And so all of the partners of that firm um, and their key employees, they all learned how to program. Like they just added that to their design toolbox because as exceptional creators, they, they saw that it was simply correct. So I think it was those sorts of individuals who were uh, more more seeking excellence, who were more progressive, who um, you know perhaps had the 
had the way of thinking to um, like th their minds in terms of how they can learn and what skills that they can master. Um, maybe it was more compatible for them to add those skills. It's not always for um, designers and artists. Um, they went and did so. And I think that it's that um, sort of evolution of the practitioner base driven by the practitioners themselves that really, really had the big impact in, in shifting the whole industry. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. So one of the things that I appreciate about prototyping when we when we do it at this studio is all the many different reasons, the uh, different aspects that you can prototype for. So we've talked a little bit about, um, you, you know, the prototype as, uh, you know, a way of, of validating the design, uh, you know, in uh, something that's kinetic in form, something that the user can interact with. Um, you know, some some of the other reasons that you know that I've seen you know being very uh, powerful for for prototyping, uh, especially when when you're dealing with something like uh, uh, interactive information visualization, is is uh, you know experimentation, right? So if you have large amounts of data and you don't know uh, what story that data is going to tell you, nor do you know like sort of the best way to depict that data in an, in, in an information space. Um, one you know very interesting way to use uh, digital prototypes is to suck all that data in and then depict it in in various ways uh, on on the infoviz side. So then you can go through and evaluate um, which one of these experiments is is working in terms of um, uh, a way of of discovering really um, which. Uh, InfoViz tells the best story. So I know that's a technique that we used, um, you know, when, when we encounter uh, large amounts of data um, and really want to uh, be able to sort of pick the, the best way to depict uh, the info story. Um, a, another really powerful um, um, uh, reason to prototype that I think maps well to uh, the design validation part uh, is is really uh, from from a, a risk mitigation standpoint, right? So the further that you can uh, validate the design and and sort of see whether things are working or not, um, you know, using uh, real data maybe in a flat file um, rather than hitting the the database, uh, what it does for both the design and engineering team is uh, allows you know, us to discover if there's, it really, if there's functionality that is just going to be um, useful to the user, or if it's going to be uh, ultimately something that falls flat. And, and while we're validating the design to make sure that it's working properly, we can also be looking to, you know, the, the features and functionality and, and, and discover early on before you get too deep into the, the development process, uh, just discover whether or not that you have the right idea about the software in the first place. Uh, so, so prototyping, for, you know, to mitigate risk, I think is, is, is a strong reason, uh, that is not that often talked about, but, but I think very important. Yeah, that's a great point because a lot of times clients are leery, uh, regarding the extra budget that good digital prototyping requires, you know, it's, um, it, 
oftentimes when clients come to us, they're looking for something very specific to be designed. They have a budget in mind. It's usually lower than the design really, really costs in the first place. And so when they see the cost to sort of correctly do the design and prototyping, there's, um, you know, there, there can be a desire to try and lower that budget. And the prototyping is often the first thing that, that gets attacked. But it's really penny wise and pound foolish because most software projects fail. If you look at the totality of all of the software out there that's made, most of them never come to fruition. They, they fail. And the, the, there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them are failures in the design and the relationship of the design to the engineering process, pulling all of that together. And investing in the good prototyping not only manifests in a better design, but it also is a risk mitigation technique to help um, as one way to make it more likely that your software project succeeds. So it's it's really money well spent. And I think more and more companies are are seeing that, but certainly still not all, and particularly those that are less sophisticated or less experienced around software. Um, and it's 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 a shame because uh, at the end of the day, it's about you know the bottom line, the the overall bottom line success from the totality of that software, and prototyping is a, a key a key part in in maximizing that. Yeah, and and despite you know the sort of the value that you can see from from uh, you know the validation process or or even you know communicating uh, what the design should be to you know the engineering team uh, as part of the the uh, results of good prototyping, there's this uh, desire to. Um, hold on to to either you know that prototype or or the you know the code that forms it. I mean, I've seen uh, great results from you know doing a variety of prototypes to you know properly vet the design beforehand. But if you're leery of throwing away the the prototype code and and want it to be almost like a jump start into production this is this is another um sort of uh um uh, penny wise pound foolish moment that that you you know you can encounter in the software process where uh you know just because we've we've invested this time in the prototype to make sure things are working properly all of a sudden the expectation is you know hey it looks like software maybe it is you know sort of the beginnings of our front end um and that can have you know not the greatest results if if the code was you know not really meant to do that in the first place so so we know how prototyping has evolved over the past decade to become you know a more accepted uh, practice. What do you see for the future of of uh, of prototyping? I, I'm I'm asking this because I I think there's some really interesting uh, possibilities, especially uh, for the ease of prototyping going forward. I mean, wh what what do you see as being sort of the next step in this evolution? Well, you know, I mean, prototyping is going to remain more and more important. I mean, the question is, when, you know, when will artificial intelligence, when will um, technologies that automate engineering uh, displace the need for the, the human operator, whether it be a designer or someone who is explicitly, you know, hired as an engineer prototyper to do that kind of work? And I don't have a good outlook for that, but I think that's, that's coming at some point, um, John. 
you said you have some ideas. I'm, I'm interested to hear those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're much along the uh, you know the same lines as as you mentioned. the The idea that there are certain aspects of user experience design that that can be and perhaps you know should be automated. Um, and as there's the uh, um, you know this this possibility to put together. Uh, pieces of the software uh, in an automatic fashion, I think that, uh, you know, that, that people are going to take advantage of that. We can already sort of see that in uh, systems like, I believe it's called uh, the grid, which uh, allows uh, or purports to allow you to create uh, a website using artificial intelligence. Um, this is uh, you know just sort of the beginning. Obviously, a website's not going to be as complicated as uh, uh, creating software, but you can see uh, you know around the edges that uh, artificial intelligence is going to begin to enhance the user experience design process. So something that we definitely have to keep an eye on if if you're in this business. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to the digitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody. So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer, that's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R, or email me, Dirk, at goinvo.com. So that's it for episode 106 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>